Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, August 8th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather at 6.30 a.m. each Tuesday to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is August 13th. We're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. We also say hello to our special guest pastor, who's with us for a second week, Serenity Taylor. She's pastoral resident, congregational life, pastoral care at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Charlotte. We're so happy to have you back. And here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall in Tampa, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Serenity Taylor, Charlotte, North Carolina. Glad to be here. And I'm Don Upton. I'm also in Charlotte, North Carolina today. And uh, I'll uh, kick it off by reading uh, the scripture for Sunday. And then uh, we'll dive right into uh, the questions of the day. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And I'll be using the New Revised Standard Version. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. And when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And that's the word of the Lord. Well, uh, three questions to get things started, and heads up, Sarah Mickelson. The first one's coming at you. Uh, I want to go to the uh, first two verses here, which is just packed with all kinds of action. Uh, that leads into a longer uh, period where we're looking at Jesus on the water and moving towards the boat. But what do you make of the quick documentation of this large patches, passage of time and the numerous activities involved therein between the dismissal of the disciples and the arrival of the ghost on the waters? Sarah? It's like about a 12-hour span of time. I'm doing the math in my in my my hands, and uh, it's not even the sun hasn't gone down, and he dismisses everybody, and then it's between three and six that he goes wandering on the water. So I'm guessing that could be about 12 hours. Um, Interesting that that he was retreating before the crowds came and found him. So this may be a moment of exhaustion. This could be a moment of recharge. This could be a moment of... I just need some quiet. Um, 
So what is the relational connection between prayer and self-help or self-care that prepares one to, to meet storms and go beyond physical limitations? You know, there, there are times when I think as church pastors, I've, I've watched as people really go beyond time most people would fall asleep and they just keep working because the situation required it of them. So I, I think about how rest and prayer can recharge in a way um, that helps you push beyond physical limitations. Um, it, it, I think of it, I think Jesus took this time to rest and recharge. Um, I said, despite the deterioration, or the death, I must have typed this late last night when I wasn't very awake. The word I typed was desperation. I'm not sure what that means. Um, <laughs> painted by fear. As Jesus comes closer, dispelling the fear, the disciples seek Jesus more clearly. I said, um, when we are fear-filled, anxious, and troubled, perhaps our understanding is confounded and befuddled. Do these moments of panic invite us to clarify our priorities? And might we have a greater perception of the presence of God acting on our behalf? Or do we sense God more acutely in times of heightened uncertainty? I'm thinking it from, from two perspectives. This time has passed for the disciples who are in a boat, and the boat is in turbulence. And here's Jesus, who's passing the time uh, praying and has gone up on a mountain. And in Matthew, that means gone to have a conversation with God. And so this, this time of prayer and reflection and recharging contrasted with the boat and disciples and the fear and anxiety that they must be wrestling with. So I, I see this sense of they see him coming on the water and they start to see him more acutely and realize it's Jesus. So this interesting juxtaposition for me. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's where my brain went last night. Thank you. How about you, Bill? What do you think? Uh, first of all, this is not the first time in Matthew that such an experience is reported. Earlier in Matthew chapter 8, it's also the earlier one reported in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8, uh, where Jesus earlier was in the boat and awakened during the storm and, and calmed it. And uh, all three accounts reported, it seems to be in similar ways. Um, it seems to me, Don, and one clear impression from reading a number of commentaries and articles is I think there was fairly equal agreement. Ultimately, we can't be sure of anything here. <laughs> you can treat this as an allegory, a parable, a literal or figurative uh, have at it. But uh, nevertheless, it's important to reflect on the impact on us. Now, I may be off base here, and one of the strengths of being on this kind of podcast is my other colleagues can write the ship after I maybe punch a few holes in it and put it in risk of sinking. It seems to me this story can be an illustration of the modern counseling term differentiation. In other words, I am my own person. You are your own person. 
I love my children, but ultimately they have to find their own way. Now, to me, there's a differentiation that constantly goes on with Jesus. He's with them. He cares about them. And I'll say more about this in subsequent questions this morning. I think he's always pushing them to, as it were, step out of the boat, uh, step in the water, uh, wait on. <clears throat> um, he is at one with the disciples, but he is not the disciple. And even for Jesus, I love it that one of the powerful examples of Jesus's humanity was he needed alone downtime. When evening came, verse 23, he was there alone. There's not, to me, uh, there's no sadness about that. It's he needed to be alone. Now, in Myers-Briggs terms, I'm off the chart in extroversion, but I can tell you, even we strong extroverts sometimes need alone downtime. <laughs> so that's that's one possibility. And there are other times that Jesus went off by himself uh, to pray. Um, and again, uh, my sense is on all four Gospels, Jesus is progressively preparing and sending the disciples out to engage in the mystery and the challenges of serving others. Uh, in Mark 6 and John 6, it's the whole group of disciples. That's the parallel to the second story. Uh, in Matthew, it's all the disciples with a focus on Peter. Matthew's the only one who records this uh, interchange with Peter, reminding us of the seashore breakfast story where Jesus and Peter engage one-on-one. Uh, and to me, it's a reminder that even the seemingly most forthright person, Peter, can falter and need support and even saving. Um, and it's a reminder to me of another change between Jesus and a person, the father of the boy with seizures, saying to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Thank you. I was, uh, I raised the question because I'm just always interested in the point of view, and we do have an author here that's inserting themselves into it. And so the fast and the slow and the micro and the big, it's intentional uh, because of what Matthew's trying to accomplish. And so, you know, Matthew is a unique approach to the gospel, and it does go fast. I mean, the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, is fast, and it reminds me how you know, fast things are happening. And then every now and then Matthew would slow and put finger on the on the record or on the film and slows it down. It reminds me of the Greta Gerwig uh, Little Women, where the the first scene in Little Women, uh, which is just about two three years ago, and she intentionally slows the film down. The the title character, the, the character leaps into the air, and all of a sudden she almost freezes to say, "I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to play with this." I'm going to I'm going to slow it down. So we have a lot of fast and a lot of slow. But I was thinking about, well, I, I want to know more. And and I think it gave me a healthy read because it's like, well, I want to know what Jesus is doing in the other place. When you're going really fast, why can't you slow that? So I'm eager to learn. I want to read the chapter called The Story of Jesus' Dismissal of the Thousands After the Disciples Have Left. That's a pretty good chapter. How did he do that? 
the story of Jesus going back to another quiet place and withdrawing after the death of John the Baptist. I'd like to hear that. Uh, Jesus preparing to pursue the boat, standing in the rain on the shore. I want to read that too, but no, I don't get that. I get the other. But I'm excited by the speed, slows down, speeds up, and also it zooms in and out, which I think is a, a kind of a implied message in the Gospel of Matthew that you know, it's the God, we, the God of small things, the God of big things, the God of big moments. But it's, uh, you ever use the old Prezi presentations as an alternative to PowerPoint? And you can, you can have like a word or an image, and then you zoom way in. You can look at the micro, and then you can zoom way out. Matthew's doing that all the time. Or it's like a microscope. It's like, you know there's an ecosystem on this little slide. No, can't be. Look, see, and there's a whole world in there. So I got excited just from those opening passages that I can be eager to ask more questions. Tell me more. Where's Jesus in this? I want to find. I want to find more Jesus, not just the story of him on the water. Uh, so that was exciting to me. Uh, um, Serenity, what about you? What do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, Don, I, I am kind of with you on that. I was excited about asking the question, like, why? Why to speed up and slow down? Um, and I was thinking when I read through these first verses that it reminded me kind of of an artist drawn to crafting a painting, right? We, he's setting out a scene for us. And I thought about um, this famous impressionist, uh, he's a painter, his name is Henry Asawa Tanner, and he has a uh, a, a painting entitled The Disciples When They See Christ Walking on Water. And he um, is credited for his beautiful details. He is mapping out the sea and he's using endless hues of blues and there's depth and, and shadowing texture that he creates. And so when I'm listening to these first verses, I believe each detail adds depth to the scene. Um, each verse carries us further into the scene. Each descriptor helps us to imagine the silence found in his solitude. We imagine the trek up the mountain. And these are all the things we're imagining. We don't know. Uh, but so while it's kind of going fast-paced, it, for whatever reason, it's slowing me down to really appreciate the details um, in this story. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it makes me think of film. Uh, you know, and then, you know, the, the the director, you know, turning our heads and, you know, before you even know it, like, wait a minute, what, what just happened to me? Why am I, why am I focused like that? Well, let's get on to the next question. Bill Hull, you're up next, and Serenity, you'll take the second uh, round of that as well. So let me uh, bring this up. And the second question is, how do you explain this strange pursuit of the disciples? or the closing of the gap between Jesus and his followers in this story? And does it connect you to other stories of pursuit and the scriptures? Bill Hull, what do you think? Um, yeah, uh, here, here I go again uh, using a modern term, but my colleagues have illustrated that we draw, they are drawing analogies with art and filmmaking and so forth. And so we just remind our listeners and viewers that that's our humanity, and uh, we're all seeking for analogies. Now, as we were discussing earlier before the recording started with our new colleague in ministry, Serenity, about how uh, there were some things lacking in our seminary education to prepare us for the daily grit and grind of ministry 
as a young pastor serving in a unique situation where I was an assistant at a large church, the solo pastor of the chapel preaching every Sunday, totally alone in responsibility for that chapel ministry. One of my early weaknesses I discovered was delegating. Uh, I love to do things myself to do them my way, which, of course, being right out of seminary was the right way. That's humility came later. And at first, fortunately, I had the good sense to connect myself with some tired business people in the church who helped me learn how to delegate. And at first, later, I realized I thought it was magical. You just give somebody responsibility, you forget about it, they'll do it. It didn't take long to discover that what I thought I had made clear <laughs> was not understood and acted on as I thought it would be. And I was eventually introduced to that term, inspect what you expect. So there's a dynamic even in delegating. In other words, Jesus is delegating, to use our modern term, and yet he's also still connected. He's listening and observing. Um, so I think there's a pursuit and a withdrawal, that's strong language. But the, again, there's that tension between Jesus saying, folks, you can do it. Get out there. And then Peter falters and Jesus lifts him up. It's a both and, Sarah. I forgot to warn you. Another bill's both and. <laughs> One of my favorite terms. Now, we are well past Matthew 10, where Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and, quote, gave them authority to do all that he was doing, teaching, healing, uh, ministering, and at times it worked. But there were instances where Jesus had further to clarify what he was teaching and asking the disciples to do. I give an example. He comes down from the Mount of Transfig Transfiguration and the disciples had failed to help this father with his seizure, uh, seizing son. Um, and it seems to me this story can be heard as Jesus is further enhancing the disciples' understanding of faith and action. Uh, and strangely, I had never caught this before, in Mark's account of this story, it says, Jesus intended to pass them by. Wow. Guys, excuse me, folks, you can do it. You can do it. Um, and my last comment, people of faith are not spared adversities. Even when they are doing what God has sent them to do, Again, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Frederick Dale Bruner says in his commentary, Human extremity is God's opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Serenity, what do you make of the strange pursuit? Yeah, Bill, I'm grateful for your input on that because I also was drawn to, you know, in Mark's gospel, Jesus intends to pass them by, um, which I prefer Matthew's gospel because it feels more like a rescue mission. I'm grateful for um I think there's an intimacy that I find in this uh this passage that I love. The the intimacy of this God who is drawing near to them. Um he 
speaking a word of comfort over them, addresses their concerns, a doubt, invites Peter to join him, and then catches him when he falls. And that, that is a redemptive story for me. Um, this is a close God and God with his hands, his or hands out. Um, but it also reminded me a little bit of the gospel and found the message in the gospel of John, the story of Thomas, the doubting Thomas, where Jesus extends the word of peace, right? We see that um, Jesus has come back and Thomas is like, I don't believe this. I, you, you're going to have to bring me here and touch the hands and touch the feet. Um, and so there's that doubt again, right? But then there's this miracle that Jesus is even there with him. And you see Jesus address Thomas's concern and ask, Jesus draws closer to Thomas, Thomas doesn't have to touch his hands and his feet anymore. So there's just this intimacy that I love. Um, And what I enjoyed is like while the disciples are being shown kind of their weakness, God is made strong, right? In Matthew's gospel, they declare that he is the son of God. Um, And in Thomas, you know, you are right. I don't need to touch your hymn. I, I know that you are who you say you are. So there's this intimacy that I was drawn to um, from this pursuit that I love. Thank you. How about you, Sarah? Oh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word follow in that phrase is translated from pursue, and the root points to being pursued versus being Um, So I thought about that in relationship to pursuit. Um, Herod's men pursued the holy child. The wise men pursued the star. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there's that intentionality, I think, that we've spoken to. Like there's, There's opportunity at every level. (laughs) Let <laughs> me say it that way. Um, I thought about how humanity pursues holiness. And we've come to an intimacy with the Messiah in that way. But then it made me flip the coin a little bit when I read this week's uh, workingpreacher.org commentary on this lectionary. Nicholas J., um, I'm going to say Sasher, might be the wrong pronunciation, points it out that Jesus pursues the disciples in the boat. It's Jesus who builds the connection between God's creation in the past and God's grace that's coming in the future. Um, It's Jesus who builds the bridge between us and God, carrying us over our sin to our salvation, moving us from being swamped in the storm and beyond our fears in the boat and delivering us back to shore. So there's this sense of salvation is coming and salvation continues to pursue us. Uh, The intentionality of God and the deliberate reaching out to support Peter when he asks for help. And I think that uh, there's something to be said for that, that perhaps um, we are more acutely aware um, of God's presence, which is always there, um, but we're more acutely aware of it when we're panicking. Well, I'm I'm just intrigued by the whole concept of pursuit uh, in all scriptures. The family of David is filled with pursuits, dark pursuits sometimes, just always chasing, finding, and seeking. In the garden, where are they? 
where are they hiding? Pursuing them. Uh, and I'm so glad, Serena, you read Thomas, because I guess I'm hearing the echo now, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And I'm thinking about the tomb and the resurrected Christ. Where is everybody? And they live a lot like the boat. They're lost. They're traumatized. They're fearful. Will they survive? What dangers? They don't know what the future looks like at all. They're just in the moment. They've lost, all is lost in some ways. And so I think about Thomas, but most of all, and I'm jumping gospels, forgive me, but, you know, Emmaus. Mm. You know, I, from a little kid, I, when I realized that at least in one gospel, that there's a couple walking as if they were a boat and they're, they're go, moving and they're being, he catches up with them. Don Upton believes Jesus catches them. He's walking faster than they are. I think that's an analogy too. And their losses, their trauma, they're afraid. They go to him because he's a ghost too. Then, in a way, he's a ghost. Who is this? Per- who's this stranger? You know, don't you know what's going on? And then he, then he said he talks and he connects all the gospel for them as they're there. But I think, I think for me, it's a reminder that that on any given day in that microscopic moment. It's possible I'm filled with lostness and trauma, and I'm afraid, and I actually don't know what's going to happen, and I'm being pursued, being pursued, or he is passing, or he is nearby, uh, and I think there's an echo there with the spirit as well. Well, how about one more question, and Serenity, heads up, you get to kick this one off. So here is our third question. Why did you doubt? stated by Jesus and recorded by the author of Matthew for a reason. Is it rhetorical? Is it seeking out a personal ba- uh, basis from a uh, relationship with Peter? Is it ironic? Does it resonate in the 21st century? So what what is your read on why did you doubt? What do you think, <laughs> Rick? Um, this was the toughest question for me. I think it's interesting, right? I think the doubting occurred before Peter left the book. Right, he's already saying, "If this is you," um, so there's already this this sense of doubt. Um, but I think what what I'm stuck with with this is the disciples. This is right after Jesus feeds the multitudes. Right, this it says immediately. You know, Jesus sends them out on the boat, and so they have been walking with Jesus. They have experienced the healings, the miracles, everything. Um, and they're still prone to disbelief, to doubt. Um, and I think about even in our lives, you know, as you talked about the 21st century, um, we, we may have not experienced these miracles, right, but we have experienced miracles in our lives. We have experienced God's divine favor. We've experienced um, the Holy Spirit walking with us, pursuing us. Um, and we can rely on those past experiences to help us in our doubt, in our disbelief. And so I'm kind of stuck there today where we all have these experiences where the Holy Spirit, God, is pursuing us. Why do we doubt? Thank you. Bill, what's your take on this? It's probably the fourth time in three on all these cycles we've done this. What is your take this time? Good. Uh, thank you, Serenity, for that insight that Peter was doubting before he stepped out of the boat. <laughs> Um, Matthew is the, I, I noted earlier, this story is told in Mark 6 and John 6. Only Matthew has this question by Jesus. Now, here 
I earlier said that scholars seems to me agree that we can go all kind of ways with this story and ultimately not be certain. I, this time, Don, am hearing this question less as a rebuke and more as an opportunity, an invitation to reflection. What, what's your doubt about? What's the content? An example of that for me was in the Christian Century article by Adam Harrelson, May 4, 2022. And I'll read his brief he, the, the title of his article is Ambition Used to Be a Vice, Now We Tend to See It as a Virtue. And he acknowledges as a pastor, he has great ambitions. He wants to be well-known. He wants to be effective and affirmed. And that that kind of ambition can be a trap. And he ends up saying, I hope Peter found more purpose in the rowing than in his water walking. He surmises, Mr. Hurlson, that perhaps this is Peter being Peter. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll be the one to step out of the boat. I'll be the one that, that will make a show. Don't know that for certain, but it's an interesting thing to consider. And he says Peter would do better to help the other disciples row the boat than to get out of the boat and try to make a show. Now, I want to end with um, a quote from the Connections commentary on this passage. The author makes the statement that it's safest to stay in the, stay in the boat. Then he says, but maybe not. Peter's story suggests that you have to get out of the boat in order to fail in such a spectacular, interesting, and I like this word, Generative way. Generative. Jesus does not demand that anyone get out of a boat, but Jesus seems as interested as anyone else to see how the venture will end. Even in failure, it does not end in drowning, but in rescue. And ultimately, in grace that swallows up doubt and inspires worship in those who watch from the safety of the boat. On this reading, Christian faith is not about the certitude and safety of believing from the boat, but rather, and I like this phrase, about the productive tension, productive tension between doubt and trust that leads us even deeper into a mysterious relationship with the Lord who comes to us in the darkness and the storm, who is present to us most palpably, just when we risk something and begin to sink. And then this quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer from The Cost of Discipleship. Peter had to leave the ship and risk his life on the sea in order to learn both his own weakness and the almighty power of his Lord. If Peter had not taken the risk, he would never have learned the meaning of faith. Thanks, Bill. I'd like to use the word reflection. That that was helpful to me. I guess I'm thinking back. Many listeners, you know, have read this all their lives, and think back to your early times when you heard this, because this is the kind of a changing story of the gospel that's always held out there as the stained glass windows. I think the church you folks go to 
uh, Bill and Sarah, that, that's in a major stained glass window in your church. But, you know, as a child, I can remember being intimidated by this, frustrated with it, because it suggests, and again, this is my personal opinion, all right, that it suggests that uh, there is serenity to be found, forgive me, serenity, serenity or peace to be found in this, that there is a seek for peace, there is an ideal peace about it. And and that's not, for, for me, that's not it at all. Which is why this this year, after many reasons readings, I'm wondering exactly, you know, what what could Peter's response be, and you know, what why why did you feel this way? And you know, I want to go. What do you think I felt this way? <laughs> ha, oh, you're hilarious, or duh, or I mean, I think it's okay to read it like that. Of course, I mean, you can even read it with irony. A wry smile from Christ. Why did you fear? You know, and I'm on a Zoom. Not many people watch us on the Zoom, but I'm throwing my hands up like, look around me. It's terrifying. What do you think? And I think, Bill, there's the reflection in that, too, that this is a call for reflection, a call for discipline, a call for thinking. You know, here we are flash-forwarding to one of the fastest books in the Bible. All of these things happening and thousands of people being fed through cooperation. And, he, and now, all of a sudden, it's one person being asked, why are you afraid? That's an okay question. I know in terms of therapies, I know in terms of our relationship with each other, we can put our hands on each other's shoulders and go, why are you afraid? Something's wrong. What's going on? Tell me what's happening with you. That's my Christ. That's that's the follower of the way. That's okay. That's it. There you go. So I, I, I got uh, comfortable with that when I got a little flip about it, which is if I want to play Peter this time in this movie, I'm going to go, what, what do you think? Look around us. I'm drowning. Look at me. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and I think if you put it, instead of cutting that out of the gospel, paste it back into the entire story, and now we have something. How about you, Sarah? You get to wrap it up. All right. So uh, I have notes about the marketing approach that a lot of people are taught, which is called fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's FUD marketing. And you'll see FUD marketing at play when they're trying to sell you hair color, when they're trying to sell you makeup, when they're trying to, you know, imply that you need this car. Um, You might hear... uh, Candidates for office use fear, uncertainty, and doubt. My candidate, if my opponent gets elected, this is all going to go to this direction. And it's going to imply that there's a a saving grace to be had if you would just buy these tennis shoes, if you would just elect this person, if you would just eat this way, um, you can save yourself all this trouble. So I want to put a big stamp on We know fear, uncertainty, and doubt really well. And I would say, as human beings, we have trust issues. We have trust issues that have been re-endorsed because we've been taught distrust more frequently than we've been taught trust. I have a 20-year-old daughter who I marvel at regularly. And one of the things that she is, I think, coming around to right now is, can I trust myself? And I think 
one of the choices that we as developing humans make is can I trust myself to know the difference between right and wrong? Can I trust myself to make the right decisions when I'm put in a position between two hard choices? And I think about, here's Peter making this decision to get out of the boat, which seems quite daunting, but my eight-year-old self is like, oh, I want to do it. I want to walk on the water. That sounds so cool. I want to see what it looks like to look down and see fish. I think that would be awesome. Do we get to jump the waves? Do we get to go woohoo and do like a somersault thing? I'm like that enthusiastic child that's trying to figure out how I get the opportunity to step out of the boat and walk on the water. And I wonder how I can suspend my anxiety about drowning, which is a reality, to move toward that wonder. And I forgot, or I think I regularly forget, that part of what lets you have that motion forward is that wonder. Maybe that's the childlike quality that we're invited to approach Jesus with. Um, I take some comfort in the words that Jesus uses. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Um, I think that one of the legacies we have to the moment in the garden when we stop and and desire to be like God and have the mind of God is that we realize how flawed we are and how wondrous God is and our inability to manage that understanding or that reconciliation is still with us. We hear the fear and we hear the doubt and the, un- the incapability that we bring to the table and the fact that we need God. Um, I think that's frightening for a lot of people. Um, but let me encourage you to jump out and somersault and jump the waves because I think that, that there's some amazing things that happen um, only when you try. Thanks, Sarah. And I we're almost out of time, but there's probably two or three minutes just in case something else came to mind. So let me look around the room to see if anybody has anything to follow up on. We good? All right. Serenity, you're always welcome. Hope to have you back again soon. And for folks listening in, we prepare these questions for you and for ourselves. It's kind of an act of selfishness because for me, it's always like, I'd always wanted to ask this question. Hope you'll do the same. But we also enjoy hearing from you, uh, your criticisms, your comments, your ideas, how the questions may have worked with you and your small groups uh, and your moderation of discussions, things like that. We, we really appreciate that. And I know I speak for Serenity, our guest. I'm sure she'd like to hear from you, too, uh, as you go through this uh, week. Uh, of Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. They're at 3501 West San Jose, that's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. So check that out. We always uh, refer that to you for great sermons, Sunday school discussions, uh, works on lectionary, disagreements on scripture, prayer, opportunities to take communion, outstanding music. So we always recommend that to you. And we're, you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.